Hello, and welcome back to the Lemon Drops podcast. One podcast in the internet. So true. That? So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm your co-host, Nick. I'm your co-host, TJ. That's incredible. Today, we have a guest who is quite extraordinary. We would like to welcome Craig DeHutt. Thank you guys for having me on. Is this the part where I'm supposed to say something interesting? Uh, I mean, sure, go ahead. I love coffee, and maybe that'll help uh, get the conversation going. Whoa, I love conversations. Coffee seems like an interesting subject to start off with because it is something you start your day with often. It is, indeed. In fact, um, I was a little late to the coffee game. I did not really get into it until I was 18 or 19 years old. I uh, I needed a job when I was in film school. Starbucks was hiring. Thought, how hard could that possibly be? And uh, six and a half years later, you know, I was addicted to it. And uh, now I've got a small espresso espresso bar in my own home. In fact, that's what I was drinking here before we got started. Uh-huh. So that's, that's my own coffee shop. Absolutely incredible. Every my, my dream, personally, to have my own coffee bar in my house. Who wouldn't want that? Well, I know a few people, but like, we don't, we don't talk about them. They're they're not very important, but like you worked, so you worked hospitality. You worked in Starbucks for a little bit. How was that? It was good. In fact, I would say um, everyone should work some form of of hospitality, mm-hmm. restaurant or hotel or something, um, in their career. Ideally, early on in their career, mm-hmm. because it gives you a a special kind of patience when you know what it's like to be on the other side of the counter and the food's taking too long or the rolls aren't hot anymore, or in our case, you know, the coffee's not ready and uh, you develop an extra level of grace for those working in that industry. If you yourself have done it. So yeah, I've heard maybe you don't have to do six and a half years, but I sure did. And I don't regret it. Whatever pays the bills. Am I right? And the free coffee. So. You get free coffee? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Free coffee, medical benefits. You decide which of those I was more excited about. Maybe we should go work at Starbucks. You can never go wrong with free coffee. Well, I get, like, free lumber every once in a while. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, we, we work woodworking with our dads. Family business. Pretty epic. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely astounding. We get free coffee there. They- they make coffee. They do make coffee. It's not that good, but they make <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Coffee's coffee. Uh-huh. So we're going to – you You started – you and your friends – or you and your colleagues started a business called Appian, Appian Media. That's – what is what right. is that? Well, yeah, this was an interesting interesting origin story. It actually started over coffee. Oh. Um, myself and another freelance video producer, Stuart Peck – uh, he and I both are from the Indianapolis area and really had recently moved into town. Both of us do similar things. And we said, hey, let's, you know, let's get some coffee, talk shop a bit. And very early on, our conversations turned to the the lack that we were seeing online of just well-made biblical media mm-hmm. um, and something that was freely available so we were either finding high quality, like Netflix quality type of documentaries about the Bible lands, but they cost an arm and a leg 
and uh, or you were finding the free stuff, which was free for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, lower quality, we would refer to them as lectures in the land. Someone just happens to be lecturing in the Bible mm-hmm. lands, but they don't actually show you or take you there. And so uh, Stuart and I, you know, had the idea of, you know, what would it take to get our own team over to Israel and and produce it and then give it away for free? So we started Appian um, technically the end of 2015, um, mm. founded it as a 501c3, as a, as a non-for-profit, and were able to, since that time, make three trips to Israel, a trip to Turkey. Mm. Uh, Lord willing, we have another production trip at a currently undisclosed location mm. uh, later this fall, if all goes well. And uh, we've been able to produce um, five different series um, well, technically four different series, five different trips, and uh, and give them away for free. That's incredible. That's Honestly, great. inspiring. Yeah. I w- we should start a non for profit, TJ. About of what we can give out free lemonade. <gasps> yeah, that's a great idea. I'm trust. Confident. I mean, if if Stuart and I can do it, surely anyone <laughs> can do it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well. A lot of learning on your feet, though. I mean, we did not begin this thing thinking. Oh, we should start a non-for-profit. That would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We started it by thinking we want to create this thing with a very odd business model of creating a stellar product and then giving it away. Mm-hmm. And uh, very quickly learned along the way, the only way we could do that was through donations. And how do you found a non-for-profit? Neither of us knew. And so we learned. And that's honestly been the story all along is... We want to do this thing. I don't know how to do that. Do you know how to know? Do we know someone who knows how to do that? And then connecting with the right kind of people to make mm-hmm. things happen. So, and the Lord's work, really. That's right. You you do filming. So how how did you how did you get into filming? Filmography. That's a great question. So when I was a teenager, um, someone gifted our family. I'm one of seven. Uh, kids oh. in our family. And so someone had gifted us. Um, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, but these are uh, like a handy cam, a Sony handy cam mm-hmm. camera where you would shoot video on eight millimeter tapes. So this was pre digital and uh, gave it to our family. And we would just make the most ridiculous home movies in the backyard with superheroes and detectives. We had a car chase prior to any of us having driver's licenses. That's incredible. So if you can imagine how to pull off a car chase with two stationary vehicles, (laughs) um, movie magic Mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. And I don't know, the the more we got doing it, I I ended up taking those tapes using two VCRs. Mm -hmm. I sound so old. I I don't know, I feel (laughs) old some days. But editing using two VCRs, Mm -hmm. um, pausing and and hitting record at, at certain times to make the cuts, and uh, before I finished high school, I thought, like, this is really something that I want to pursue. I wanted to do feature-length films. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write and be a director. Um, I went to film school with that focus and uh, graduated with a degree in video production um, back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one. took a very windy career path <laughs> after graduation <laughs> Uh-huh. That obviously we've already said included Starbucks, it included several other unique opportunities. And now I'm making documentary films for a non for profit, as well as 
um, creating content for small businesses and other non-for-profits um, for them to use online. That's incredible. Um, I when I went to the homeschool convention, I seen you talk. That's how we. That's how we got in touch with each other. And you talked about Hollywood and how it wasn't a place that you really liked. Mm. How did like what what experience do you have with Hollywood? Like, did you like do videos or movies? Did you like work actually in Hollywood? No, I I did not ever move to California. I come from the West Coast. I I grew up in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not actually return to California after graduating and and work in Hollywood. But when I use that term, what I mean is the instructors and those who were um, who were heading up the program and mm-hmm. teaching the classes at film school were people who had worked in Hollywood. Yes. Some of them were still currently working in Hollywood. Um, and that term is, it's, it's different now because, you know, uh, the majority of the Marvel movies are yes. not actually made in Hollywood. Yeah. They're made actually in Atlanta, which mm-hmm. is where I went to school. Um, but that term is simply major motion pictures mm-hmm. in, in the United States. Yes. And uh, they have a particular worldview. They have a particular agenda. Um, they don't all necessarily sit down and confer with each other. Hey, we want to corrupt youth. Um, but they are, I believe, writing from a similar mindset and a similar worldview. And that is a worldview that does not include God and, and is fairly disparaging against those uh, people of faith. And those were the people who were teaching me my craft. Mm-hmm. And so not only were they teaching me how to produce videos and shoot and edit and act, but they were teaching us why we should use this skill set to perpetuate their agenda. Um, and it was eye-opening. As I said in my talk, uh, it was cool that you were able to attend that. Um, it was eye-opening to hear them just very openly state, like, this is why we do what we do. We create content like this to change people's minds. And uh, audiences sometimes don't want their minds changed. And so we'll trick them into changing their minds by making the the content compelling and entertaining. Um, all the while stripping away uh, a culture. Um, so uh, God has led me on a merry dance between then and now. And here we are. Appian Media is in its sixth year. And we are creating content using the skills we learned from Hollywood professionals but we are now countering their culture and and trying to change people's minds uh, for Christ. That's great. TJ, you have a question, don't you? I did. Mm-hmm. What? I was just, you got, you went through all of, I'm sorry. You went through a bunch of schooling to get to where you are now. And you mentioned film school. Where, where did you go to, where, where was that? Where was the film school you went to? Sure. Um, so I was, I was homeschooled my entire education. And then I took a year at Ivy tech, uh, college in Columbus, Indiana. And then I took two years at the art Institute in Atlanta. Um, so technically it was an art school, but they had, um, various programs that, um, that focused on motion pictures. Um, I took their, their two year program, honestly, after about two years, instead of staying to get my bachelor's, I just, I couldn't stomach that kind of rhetoric anymore. Um, so mm-hmm. I have an associate's degree, which is not common for, for someone in this industry. Um, 
and yet I have learned far more in the doing of the craft than in sitting in a classroom talking about doing. Um, and I think that's true for just about any any program you might get into. So mm -hmm. they set me on a good path and, and I don't want to disparage the Art Institute too badly. They trained me well. I mean, I learned all kinds of things and, and was able to get my hands on some incredible equipment for the time. You guys would probably laugh at it now, but for the time it was, you know, um, really exceptional. And many of them taught me some really valuable lessons. Um, I don't necessarily want people to come away with the idea that they were all antagonistic towards me. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the overarching theme of what they were teaching us and why we ought to learn it was something that I, I simply couldn't take after, after two years. Um, and so I have gone on to do other things and um, that has included a wide variety of things, some video related and some not. Um, but now in the, in the current position that I'm at, um, I'm able to use quite a bit of, of these different skill sets now in one job, which is kind of cool. That's great. Um, you, you said you worked with a lot of equipment. Uh, what is the most expensive equipment you've ever run? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know that I could tally that up. Um, or what do you think, like, you don't even have to say the price. Just what do you think was like one of the most expensive like shoots you've done or something? Uh, honestly, f for me, it's it's what we typically do for Appian. So when we travel over to, um, in our case, it's been Israel um, or Turkey, um, we are a fairly small crew, all things considered. Mm -hmm. We're usually between six to eight people. And uh, it is a principally two camera shoot. And we're using um, Canon, uh, either C Canon C200s um, or something equivalent. Um, but that's a rig with heavy lenses and monitors that at least on our, our, our most recent trip to Turkey in 2020 included a jib arm and a gimbal to keep it steady. And that's just the camera. Then you're talking about uh, Stuart uh, does the vast majority of our audio recording. So he's got an entire thing in front of him with mm -hmm. multiple mics and um, capturing sound. Um, I think it's fair to say for a trip like that, um, just for the equipment, I mean, it's it's tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. either in, in rental equipment or equipment that we own that we contribute to the to the shoot itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just camera equipment is too expensive, honestly. Can we just, like, <laughs> can we not? That's true. Like, I would like to do some epic video stuff. I just am I'm poor. <laughs> well, and this is what's exciting, because I, I, I tell this to my students. Uh, I, I also teach at a place called Apprentice University. Mm -hmm. um, I teach high school and college-age students. And one of the classes that we do, one of the very first classes that they will take is digital storytelling where we talk about principles of storytelling, but they're only allowed to use their phones. Mm -hmm. Because nowadays, you're shooting video that's 4K video on a phone, which is just stupid awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's incredible. And so I encourage people, you know, probably you've got a phone in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Master that craft of storytelling, telling something compelling that people want to watch, and then work your way up to equipment mm -hmm. that um, continues to get better over time. But don't think I have to wait until I have really good equipment before mm -hmm. I start shooting video. Yes. Because uh, then 
you'll be waiting forever. Yeah, because that's something I have to humble myself in because I always am like, I need the greatest, best and greatest thing. And then I realize I can't afford the best and greatest thing. So you give up immediately. I give up. Yes, I always just give up because that is (laughs) the way to do it, folks. I'm kidding. Don't give up on your dreams. (laughs) Don't give up. You said you start small. You said you teach at Apprentice University or whatever. Um, What what do you do there? So uh, Apprentice University is, um, it's located in Brownsburg, Indiana, uh, the west side of Indianapolis. And um, they are a, what I would call a college alternative. Basically, they are a a certificate program where you can go and get a certificate in a category of something that you're interested in. in. In my in my case, it is digital storytelling is the certificate that I have helped to craft and teach there. Um, but they learn by doing, which is what I said earlier, where throughout mm-hmm. a approximately two-year program, they will have at least half a dozen apprenticeships where they, where they will work with um, existing companies and do work for them. They'll get paid for the apprenticeship, which then pays for the classes that they will take um, during the week, and then we meet in person one day a week. So on Fridays, I will come to Apprentice University and teach classes in digital storytelling, podcasting, multi-camera live streaming. Um, I have taught um, classes in more advanced like DSLR or mirrorless camera shooting, which encompasses mm-hmm. advanced lighting and uh, audio recording. And basically what I'm trying to do is prep these students to whatever career path they may choose, oftentimes they will be more valuable to a potential employer if they know how to create compelling video, at least to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've been doing that now for four years and I have seen students come through the program, finish the program and leave with a resume that is more impressive than anything I had when I was in my, even my late twenties. These students are coming out with um, you know, like I said, six to eight apprenticeships where they've got that experience. They've got a resume that looks great. They ideally have great letters of recommendation from these companies and they have a portfolio of work because the classes that we teach require compelling capstone projects to finish it all off. So they can then hand that to an employer and say, I made that video. I shot and edited that on a phone. And uh, we have had some, some incredible response uh, from employers who were like, there's no way you shot that on a phone. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. And and uh, Appian Media actually makes use of some of these apprentices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and we've just had incredible, um, an incredible time with them. Mm-hmm. You do all your own editing, correct? Or most of it? For for Appian Media, I do the vast majority of, of the editing. Occasionally we will um, hire out additional contractors or use uh, different members of our team. But but yes, mm-hmm. uh, principally I do the editing. What, what program do you use? I am partial to the Adobe Creative Suite. So mm-hmm. I use uh, Adobe Premiere, After Effects, Photoshop, Illustrator. Um, I do know how to use Final Cut Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, I really kind of fell in love with and used during film school. But then they changed it to Final Cut 10, and it just got weird <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, fell in love with Premiere. So Nice. Um, see, how long, how long have you used 
Uh, how long have you used Adobe Premiere? That's a great question. Let's see. Probably since 2010. Yep. So it's gone through some changes. Nice. I also heard you were a video game designer slash producer for, and you made a game or so. How did that go? That is true. Yes. Um, one of the things that I encourage my students to do is to be open to opportunities that may not seem like they fit in your current career trajectory. Um, and that's what happened to me. I was, um, I was actually working part-time at Starbucks. I was working at a television station in, in TV news. And a friend called me up and said, I work for a company. They've just started kind of a mobile gaming department. And they need animators and game designers. Is that something that, you know, so he knew that I was into illustration and animation and uh, said, you're asking me, do I want to make video games for a living? Sure. Um, and so I did. That was a company called HitSense in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And uh, the first game that we worked on was a game called Draw a Stickman Epic. That sounds incredible. And it, it is. It really is. I mean, even now, I, I let my kids play it. And it's, you know, it's been years uh, mm -hmm. since it came out. But it, it, it won some Webby Awards, um, a really fascinating kind of adventure puzzle game where you can draw not only draw your character, but you draw the different elements that your character needs in order to solve puzzles throughout the game. Um, it's very witty. Um, I did not, I was not the, the creator of it, um, but um, I was on the, the team that helped to animate the different elements and, and, and create the assets for it. Occasionally I would uh, offer suggestions as mm -hmm. to puzzles or gameplay. Um, and then we went on to create a game called Battle Pillars. Mm -hmm. And it's caterpillars with armament and, and artillery. And it's a, it's a tug-of-war style game where you are creating units and either another player or the, you know, the game itself are creating units and you're trying to take over each other's base. And again, it's silly fun, but um, even now, it's, uh, my kids love to play it and, and I was proud to be a part of that. Nice. Fine. I'll, the, I I looked I looked up my phone. And I seen it. There's also an epic stickman. Oh, uh, make a stickman. I seen when I went on the app store to look up um, uh, make a stickman. There was also make a stickman two. Did you help design that one too? Correct. Uh, yes, there was. Um, no, I had actually left the company at that point and moved my family up to Indianapolis. I had taken a job with a video production company up here. And, uh, but no, you better believe that I downloaded it as soon as it came out and, and played it as well. It's got a different flavor for sure. Um, but it's still, uh, generally the same concept. You draw your own stuff and, and work through a kind of moving interactive, um, slightly three-dimensional world. And it's, it's very creative. Mm -hmm. Would you have like, would you have any desire to continue to like design games and stuff or illustrate? Oof. I never want to, um, hmm. I'm trying to, trying to think how exactly I want to say that. I, I never want to decline going through a door unless I've at least taken a look through it. So if an opera, I never want to say I will never do that thing. No, I, I want to be open. And so if an opportunity comes and, and maybe they, 
you know, need help creating new games or I can do illustration. Um, never say never. Right now, I'm very much loving what I'm doing and, and would like to continue to pursue that. But uh, you never know. Ten years ago, I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing now. I had totally different aspirations. And so who knows? You know, in my 40s, 50s, maybe I'll, I'll open a coffee shop. 60s, 70s, you'll never know. 80s, 90s, you know? You never know. You, never know. Um, you, you did, like, commercial work, like... Uh, like her visual illustrations. I'm good at language, guys. Uh, you did like like <laughs> illustrations for like uh, ads and stuff. Like what what was that like? How do you get? How does that happen? How does that happen? <laughs> um, it happens by what my eight year old son is currently doing. Is I grew up drawing. Mm -hmm. I just I loved to draw. I had aspirations to be the next. Um, you know, Jim Davis is the creator of Garfield, mm. or I wanted to be like Bill Watterson, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, when I was younger, my aspiration was to be a, a, a cartoon, like a comic strip artist. And so I drew all the time. And again, it's one of those things that you should develop skills that you're passionate about because you never know in what capacity you might use that in your career. And so... Um, yes, uh, clients have hired me um, to either illustrate things for the videos that I create for them um, or for uh, websites. Again, it was the talent that came in handy when I was producing uh, video games. Um, I still get to use it on occasion because some video projects require the creation of storyboards, mm -hmm. which are essentially comic strips. And so I, you know, I still get to draw on occasion. Uh, most of my drawing these days are to to assist my eight year old son in uh, when he asks me, hey, "Can you draw this character from that you used to do?" Um, best best then, then I'll do that. Ever. That's that's how you do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. Yes, I I agree with that that whole thing right there. You you talk about kids. You have a family. You do right. I do, yes. Uh, my wife, Karen, and I uh, live up here near Indy, and we've got three children. Um, my son, Ethan, is eight, and uh, my daughter, Avery, is six, and our son, Silas, um, is four years old. And so, yeah, Karen and I have three kids, and so blessed with each of them. Uh, we're homeschooling the, the older two. In fact, today marked the beginning of summer vacation. Oh. So um, we bought donuts and uh, ah, yes. you know, congratulated the kids on a job well done. Congratulated Karen for teaching <laughs> these kids. Ah, yes. That takes a special kind of person. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I've already got, the kids are already asking, like, when do we get to go on a trip with you? You know, how old, <laughs> you know, Ethan was, how old do I have to be to go to Israel? Uh, oh. More than eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> But honestly, the idea of eventually taking uh, my wife, which she has not yet accompanied me on any of these trips, mm -hmm. um, and then especially taking um, our kids uh, would be uh, a trip of a lifetime, I think. Incredible. Um, well, I have a super, super duper important question here. Which one would you choose? Which one do you like better, Sony or Can Canon? Oh, that is the question of the ages, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
You're not even going to contemplate Nikon because I know that's one of the heavy okay, okay. As well. well you can, okay, which camera brand do you like best? No, well, we th- I I continually make fun of Nikon because uh, one of the team members who shall remain nameless insists mm-hmm. on using Nikon's, and we all just kind of laugh them out of the room. Um, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Truth be told, for most uh, most of the first eight, 10 years out of film school, I was a Canon guy through and through. Mm-hmm. Those were the, the cameras that I learned. Uh, the XL1 was kind of the first high definition camera, uh, looked kind of cinematic um, that I was using in film school, still recorded on digital tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved Canon. The first DSLR that I purchased was a Canon T3i which was, Mm. that was something else. Honestly, it was kind of a game changer. Now, within the last, uh, within the last four or five years, I have switched to Sony. And a couple of reasons for that. Uh, Sony mirrorless cameras um, are lighter. They produce just as high quality, in my opinion, uh, 4K footage, which is what I enjoy shooting. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they were far superior at shooting high frame rates so Mm -hmm. slow motion footage Mm -hmm. canon just didn't consider that a high priority Mm -hmm. and so um we would bring canons to shoot our principal stuff but when we wanted to shoot slow motion we'd have to put the canons down and pick up the sony's and that just to me got tedious um so i decided instead i'm just gonna buy a couple of nice sony's and they can do both um but as is true with technology, and man, especially in the last three or four years, these these companies, Canon, Sony, um, honestly, Nikon as well, are coming out with new camera bodies every like two or three months. Mm-hmm. And this one's got the best specs now, and this one's got the best specs. And so mm-hmm. my recommendation to people, like which is better, Canon or Sony, it's whichever one has the specs that you are looking for, Mm-hmm. in a price range that you can afford. But once you choose, like stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because investing in lenses, you can't just buy a, a, a Canon lens and expect to use that on a Sony easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to start investing in one brand or another. And to make the switch like I did um, gets expensive. Yes. So right now, right now I'm a Sony guy. Ask me again in five years. Mm-hmm. Like, especially for podcasts, I feel like Sony is the way to go because I don't think is I don't think there's a single Canon camera that does not have a record limit on it. Well, and to be fair, many Sonys do have record limits on them as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the ones that they've come out with in the last couple of years no longer do. Um, Canons have have done a good job at least in the last twelve months. Uh, of of releasing some that don't have record limits. But you're right. For the longest time, you had about a 25, 30-minute record limit. Um, one, either to allow the file to write to the card or two, to keep the, to keep the hardware from burning itself up, yes. um, especially once cameras started shooting in 4K. So that is something to be mindful of, that you need a camera that you know isn't going to stop halfway through a, a long-form video like a podcast. Yeah, but like right now, all the Sony cameras are out of stock, and it's the very annoying. Oh. Or all the all the budget ones are. It's like I was trying mm. to buy like a ZV-E10, 
and it's like, nope, you can't find it anywhere except for on eBay for four times the price. Yeah, they really, when they release newer models, Sony especially is very quick to discontinue some of the older ones. They mm-hmm. they cycle through them. So I'm currently using a, a Sony A6300, and it's probably five, six years old. Um, I bought it used, but you, you can't find it anywhere now, mm-hmm. like not even on eBay. Um, so yeah, you're, you're trying to find something reasonably priced. You typically want to buy used if you can. Yes. Um, Sony cycles things through quickly. Yeah, especially with the new, they were just released the Sony A, A4, A7 IV. Which A seven four, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I want it, but I don't have three thousand dollars. <laughs> <sighs> it is one of those things you you're trying to purchase something, and when it comes to the bodies, you know, mm-hmm. you're trying to purchase something that you know will meet your needs and you anticipate will meet your needs for the next ideally three, four, five years. Yes. You don't want to be buying a new body every you know, every every couple of years. And- um, that's why I'm a little, I bit- would recommend to people, you know, buy a reasonably priced body that will do what you want and invest in the lenses uh-huh. because those, uh, have a long, longer shelf life, um, than a, than a camera body. I, the reason I hesitate to get like a cheaper camera is cause like, I don't want to be upgrading then in like six months or something. I want to be able to, I want to get something that I will use for the next three to five years. Like you said. It's true. It's the constant balance. You know, what mm-hmm. do you need to create your minimal viable product? Um, what what do you need that will meet the the specs of, of what you've got in mind? It will never be the latest and greatest. And I mean, unless you're, you know, I'm trying to think Elon of the, the most well-known. To, yeah. Unless you're someone who's just incredibly well-known and uh, they'll let you use whatever gear you set your mind on. That Most would, of us, regular ideal. human beings, need to use what, what's at our disposal. And, and that's how we've done things with Appian, where, you know, we are a nonprofit. And mm-hmm. so we create things based on people's donations. And we treat that money like it's not ours. We want to stretch every dollar, but we also want to produce something as, as good as we can make it. And so the, the, the challenge is constantly... We want the best gear right now, but we can't afford the best gear. What can we afford? Um, and finding finding that balance. Yes. So you you mentioned Kickstarters. You use Kickstarters. How does like how how does that go? Like how do you get money from a Kickstarter? Do you like advertise it? Do you like <laughs> just ask people on the streets? Like, oh man, oh man, uh, that question is something that I have charged clients for two days of consultation to answer. Um, but I'll give this to you for free. Oh. Um, so I, I had experience with Kickstarter actually back um, when I was working at, at one of my previous employers and they launched a Kickstarter campaign. Um, my brother, actually my brother, Jeff, who is an incredibly talented illustrator, animator. He actually worked alongside of me making mm. these video games um, he designs board games, but he launched two successful Kickstarter campaigns for his board games. If you look up Pocket Dungeon Quest, mm. and it's pretty spectacular. That Kickstarter is obviously it's finished now, but you can still go and see the campaign. 
and learned a lot from observing his campaigns, from uh, running a campaign for this previous uh, employer that honestly did not go well. And sometimes you learn more from failure than you do from success. So when it came time for, for Appian Media to raise, we used Kickstarter in our first year. We moved away from it after that first year, but in our first year we used Kickstarter. Um, it is far more than just creating a compelling campaign page and hitting go. Mm -hmm. Because the internet is vast. Kickstarter is vast. I mean, new projects are launching on that, you know, every few minutes. How do you make your stuff um, grab people's attention more than anything else that's coming out? It really is about assembling fans and interested parties long before the campaign ever launches. Mm -hmm. So you're advertising, you're creating social media pages, promotional videos, um, in this day and age, you're probably, you're probably on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. Are people still on Facebook? On Twitter, <laughs> perhaps. Um, and you're letting people know this thing is coming and we're going to need your help. And this is why it's important so that when you hit go, you, people are basically waiting for that, that page to go live and they're jumping on it. Um, yeah. Like and then secondly you're creating something that people actually want to see made. And that's the balance. Um, every artist wants to see their stuff made, but the artist needs to come up with an idea that other people also want to see made and are willing to pay for it. Yeah, that's one thing about like running basically any like business that you sell products to the ma like majority of people. Is you just have to be on every social media platform so that you can actually... Like it, yep. all the main businesses right now, or ha that have been for a while, have like always have like a media team. Like getting your name out Absolutely. there is one yeah. of the most important parts of any business. <sighs> TJ, can you be my media consultant? Yes. Yay! Well, I just hired a media consultant. So that <laughs> I, I've got to know. I'm I'm always curious. Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of social media platforms are you guys on currently? Um, it's only Instagram because that's really all we have the the time to run, kind of. I could probably make it. We got Facebook too. <laughs> yes. So so as far as your podcast, you're saying you're on Instagram. What do you all use as individuals? I only use Instagram. I use Instagram. You and only Facebook. use Instagram. Mm -hmm. I don't. Okay. I try to make it. I don't touch TikTok. That's not something <laughs> I want to get into. It's just. It's it's actually kind of. It's it's awful because it's just your brain. It's like eating Pringles. Like <laughs> you, with Pringles. it's like you eat chips and you're not full, but mm. you're not yeah. quite. And but you're not you're not satisfied, and so you just keep on eating, keep on consuming content, and your brain is never let up. It always just keeps never on satisfied. more and more, and it's not healthy. So I try to stay off that. That's a that's a great way to, to describe that. I'm not on TikTok either. Appian Media is not on TikTok, even though s several people have been like, why, why aren't you on TikTok? Um, because my, my brain can't handle that either. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it because I mm -hmm. thought it was just because I'm an old man. But uh, apparently, you know, consuming content in 10 or 15 second bites is, uh, is like eating Pringles. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's, it's 
but the problem is also is there's just so much, so many people on that as well. So the best way to start something and get something going fast is to be on TikTok because that's what literally everyone is on. It's like it's not everyone. Bet I don't believe you. You're not on there. Well, I'm not. I'm not on there. He's not on but, there either. Craig. I'm not on there. So <laughs> you're not helping no, I'm not, me. <laughs> I'm not helping, am I? <laughs> uh huh. So like like because. Some of those things were like advertisements on that things. Like, see how I think the Super Bowl gets somewhere like thirty million views on the Super Bowl, and like an ad on there is like millions of dollars for like just a few seconds. And like on TikTok and stuff like that, you can get way, way more views than that. And on YouTube and stuff, and then they pay fractions of the cost, and it's genius, honestly. Like people like. Uh, Mr. Beast, for one, he just has crazy, crazy expensive shoots and stuff, and and he does it because he can get sponsorships because he gets millions of views, and it's just a like a crazy cycle of get money, spend all of it, get more views, get more money, spend all of it, get more views, <laughs> get more money, and it works. I incredibly bet he well. doesn't spend all of it. He doesn't. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Mr. Beast is a, is a unique case. Uh-huh. Um, there is a difference. And, and really, the question you've got to ask is the question that we ask at, at Appian is, what's the return on investment? Uh-huh. Where are we going to see the largest return? So we're a non-for-profit. Our objectives are to get the content in front of as many people as possible, but also to bring awareness to the nonprofit so that we can receive donations so that we can create new content. Mm-hmm. And what we have found is we could spend a whole lot of time creating content to fill Twitter or to fill Instagram. But what's the, what's the return on investment there? Rarely will, at least we have found, rarely will someone go from Instagram to our website or to our app mm-hmm. and complete you know, a donation or a purchase. And so... You do want the brand awareness. You want people to find you where they are looking for content. But until we have a media team of 15 people Mm -hmm. um, who can each take one social network uh, per employee, um, we have to decide where's our time best served. Right now, for us, that's YouTube. Um, YouTube is our largest and fastest growing audience. Mm -hmm. YouTube generates ad revenue for us, um, which Instagram... I don't care what they say, doesn't. Um, and um, it is, it's accomplishing both of our missions at the same time. We are getting the content freely available to people where they're looking for it and it, and it benefits. So you've got, you guys have to ask, you know, yourselves the same thing. I think Instagram's a, a good move for your podcast. Um, yeah. Cause would TikTok be. See, I, one of the reasons no. I feel like Instagram is also a better move for us is because we're a more general, like something that you'd listen to on a normal day. And that's, and that's also what Instagram, you use Instagram regularly and then you listen to us regularly. So like, it's a great mix. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Makes uh-huh. sense to me. Yeah. We are very, very smart people here. I hope. I'll, I'll take that credit. <laughs> TJ, you need to be better. Uh huh. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you you do some podcasts. What podcasts do you do? 
Um, so Appian Media produces three different podcasts, and I've been involved in the creation of all three, um, but I personally co-host one of those, and we call it Inroads. And basically, it's myself and the, the other co-founder of Appian, Stewart, and the two of us either talk amongst ourselves, but typically we'll interview another person who is using media to evangelize. And so we love talking to other podcasters. We love talking to other video professionals, but we also love talking to people who maybe they're actors or directors or just regular people who found interesting ways of using new technology uh, to reach people with the gospel. And so we've been able to interview um, a wide variety of people um, from Tim Mackey with the Bible project to Stephen Kendrick, who's one of the directors of, Facing the Giants and Fireproof. Um, we've spoken with, um, yeah, several different actors, um, other documentarians. Uh, Tracy Robinson was a fascinating interview that we did, I believe, in season three. She's got a documentary out, or that's just about to come out, called uh, "The Matter of Life" um, in regards to the the abortion issue, and. Uh, we were able to speak with her right around the time she finished that documentary. And for us, it's just an exciting, it's an exciting conversation to hear from other people who are trying to yeah. accomplish the same mission that we are, but perhaps they're going about it in a different direction from a different direction. And uh, so that's inroads. And uh, we are in between seasons and uh, we are excited, Lord willing, uh, to be producing some new episodes this, this year. Incredible. Mm hmm. See, uh, when I went to the homeschool convention and I listened to your thing, uh, your what they call workshops, I I absolutely loved your take and everything and exactly how like I love like what what goes into creating a, a workshop like that or like a seminar type thing. Well, that was a new that was a new experience for me in regards to a homeschool workshop, but it was not the first time that I had presented content like that. Mm -hmm. um, truthfully, I have presented it in sermon form. Mm -hmm. Churches uh, around the country have, have asked me to present a uh, similar type of material. But really what goes into it is identifying who my audience is. I'm going to talk to a group of, of homeschool families differently than I may talk to a group of you know, a room full of filmmakers um, and identifying what I believe that the audience needs, um, what I can contribute to to that audience um, in a way and from a perspective that, that maybe is, is unique. Um, God's message isn't unique. There's really nothing new that I can present that people haven't heard before, um, but perhaps uh, presenting it in a way that um, that is engaging and and uh, and innovative, if we can. And so, yeah, this was our our first time as Appian Media to have uh, a a real booth at that particular homeschool convention, and it was certainly the first time to do a workshop. Mm -hmm. um, I was very encouraged, especially. I mean, you were there for the for the Hollywood uh, mm -hmm. Trojan Horse. Um, the the room seemed. Um, full and excited and got some great questions afterwards. Um, that's always, you know, encouraging to me. We would like to do that again in the future if we could. Mm -hmm. You definitely did not have big enough room. They should have gave you the big <laughs> one. They should have give you the grand stage because that, I, I absolutely loved your workshop. It was great. 
It was actually my well, favorite awesome. workshop that I that I listened to that weekend. Oh man! Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh huh. Switching gears a little so, bit. Oh, sorry. What? Oh, can, can I pose a question to yes. you all? Because I'm always interested. You guys have have mentioned to me you've got this podcast and mm-hmm. you've been doing it consistently, like yes. consistently for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. I want to know. I, I'm actually in the middle of teaching a podcasting class at Apprentice University, oh. and so I want to know, like, from you all, what does it take to keep consistency like that? It's um, like, what does that look like for you all? It's a lot harder than one might think. I've had weeks where I just would rather not do it. I'm I have lots of stuff I want to do, but luckily for me, I have Nick that actually. Well, I forced ma- him to do it. Make sure that it happens. So I it's, think if it was just me, I wouldn't be that consistent. I look at it as I get to sit down and talk with some awesome people, my friends, and just have a good time for an hour. And it's I love it. It's it's my passion project. Like I've been wanting to do a podcast for a very long time, well before we started this. It actually started as a as a joke. I was like, TJ, we should start a podcast, and we were just throwing around some random names. And I'm like, I actually want to do this. I'm gonna start a podcast. And like, my friends and family would know me for being notoriously like unmotivated. Like I'll start a project and be like, eh, it's too much work. And this is probably mm. one of the biggest projects I've ever started. And now everyone, my dad especially, is like, I cannot believe after nearly a year you're still doing this. I'm like, I can't believe mm-hmm. it either. It's just I'm doing what I enjoy. So it's – I love it. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. How do you guys come up with topics? How do you guys – I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know – I bumped into you at the convention and you said, hey, can you be a guest? But, mm-hmm. you know, what does a typical creative session for you guys look like? Typically, sometimes we'll get coffee. Well, not recently, we haven't because we've been really busy. But re- normally we'll get coffee and we'll talk about some stuff and we'll plan out some guests. And, like, we've had a lot of our church on, actually. We probably had five or six people from our church on. Like, we've had some really cool fellows from over there. Like... um, but recently, it's just we sit down and we we ramble, and it's not that great. But guys, look, we got Craig on. We're doing better. <laughs> We're doing something right. <laughs> with moving and stuff. It's just been pretty hectic recently. And sure, it's it's just I love having my friends on and talking. I don't know how it's great. That's how I do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Well, mm-hmm. if it's anything like ours, I typically come away having learned something myself. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting down with somebody, maybe I know a bit about them, but you get into the conversation and you learn more about them or about a topic that they're super passionate about that I didn't know before. And so the the hope is that our audiences are also listening and enjoying and learning. Um, but for me, you know, I do it. I do it because I, I enjoy doing it, like you're saying, but I, mm-hmm. I do it because it, it benefits me. I get to learn some things. That's one of the things that I enjoy about video production or, or documentary filmmaking in general is the the people that I've been able to sit down and hear their stories. Um, I can't think of another another industry or another career path that would allow me to talk to such a variety of people. Mm-hmm. So. I love what you guys are doing. I think that's fantastic. Um, and uh, 
definitely don't hit that one year mark and go all done. Uh-huh. You know, man, if you can keep growing this and keep making it better, um, I imagine your process is better now than mm-hmm. it was oh, maybe the goodness. first few weeks. 100%. We actually we actually started out with old church equipment in my bedroom. It was great. It was awesome. amazing. <laughs> Our first episode yep. is not good. <laughs> I liked it. We talked about <laughs> beans and communism. <laughs> Very interesting topic. Yeah. I might have to give that a listen. Uh-oh. Uh, or or not. You could like skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe skip to like the newer ones. No, there's some great there's some great ones, especially in the beginning when we were first figuring out what to do. We actually we we did some episodes, we recorded some episodes in uh in our break room at work, which was which had all metal walls, so it was very mm. very noisy. So we got cargo blankets and we just hung them up on the walls. We also did one in an RV while oh, yeah. we were church camping. Yes. Our first guest we did, we were in an RV at church camping. It was great. I bet it sounded pretty good, though, in uh-huh. an RV. Uh-huh. It did. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we also did one episode while we were camping, just me and TJ on Grandma's cabin. Oh, yeah. We were outside. <laughs> we ran an extension cable like 150 feet. <laughs> it was great. Well. Uh, Full full disclosure, even with what we produce, we'll do quirky, crazy things like you guys have just described mm-hmm. in order to get our shots as well. And so just behind the camera, yeah, you might see. In fact, I think we've got some behind the scenes stuff on our social media pages, but just beyond camera, you'll see someone holding up a reflector <laughs> or a diffusion mm-hmm. to, to make sure the shot looks And we all look ridiculous at times. Mm-hmm. But it's it, you do whatever you need to do to get the shot, and then you learn better next time. You know how to how to make it look or sound even better. Um, so there are some things. It sounds like you guys have learned a mm-hmm. metal room is probably not the best place to record a podcast. Uh, but what can you do? I love. I mean, I love hearing you suggest things like that because that's what I've been saying to my students. Mm-hmm. Bring sound blankets with you. Wherever you go, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going on a production, bring sound blankets with you, maybe for the floor, for the walls. Um, and especially if it's just a podcast, it doesn't matter what you all look like. Mm-hmm. It just whatever it takes to make you sound professional. Yeah. Switching gears just a tad. I see you're wearing a Star Wars shirt. It's true. Is uh-huh. that is that unprofessional? Or no, is that, it's, that it's beautiful. <laughs> And I know TJ's I, not. I know TJ's not going to like me for saying this, but he ha- he had a nickname. He like he referred to you as. Would you like to? Would you care to? <laughs> oh, I imagine I've heard this one before. <laughs> I hope so. But your your name always just reminds me of Jabba the Hutt. It is true. Uh-huh. It is true. I have I have told people that if they could come up with a joke about my last name that doesn't involve Star Wars or Pizza Hut. <laughs> that they would get some extra points. Most people can't get farther than those two jokes. So, well, TJ has failed. Maybe if we have you on again, maybe then I'll prepare prepare an episode. Give joke. you some time to yeah, give yeah. you some time to think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, we're fans of Star Wars here. In fact, our kiddos just got to watch their very first Star Wars movie. Incredible. Um, we celebrated Star Wars Day. May the fourth by uh, by watching episode one. So nice. my eight, six, and four year old, we decided that was probably the 
the most kid-friendly to start. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, they couldn't get over how funny Jar Jar was. <laughs> yes, Jar Jar. Jar Jar and, uh But my favorite, my favorite moment of the whole movie, it, it's been out long enough. I, I feel like I don't have to give spoiler <laughs> alerts here. But near the end of the movie, obviously, Qui-Gon Jinn has just bit it. Obi-Wan Kenobi's fighting with Darth Maul. And uh, Karen and I both know what's getting ready to happen to Darth Maul, and we're curious <laughs> as to how our kids are going to react to him getting sliced in half. Obi-Wan jumps up, grabs Qui-Gon's lightsaber, flips over the top of him, cuts him in half. Darth Maul's two pieces start tumbling down the, the, the shaft there. And Silas, our youngest, turns to me and he goes, he lost his pants. <laughs> That. He did. Y- yes, he he lost a little more than that, but that, yeah, that was that, his favorite part. He got the general he, idea. He mm-hmm. lost his pants. I started and my so, I started my incredible Star Wars journey of I think eight months ago, and in that time, it took me about two months to finish all the Star Wars stuff I could find. I I didn't want to. St- I per- I like waited to start it because I wanted to start at Episode One and go through absolutely everything chronologically because. I got into mm. it because the new Mandalorian series came out not too long ago, and I wanted to watch yes. that. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to watch it. And I watched it, and I was instantly hooked. And now I've watched every every Star Wars thing that I could find in order. So I, so I just want to clarify. You had not previously seen Star Wars nope. until about six or seven? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that shows you that I am old. Mm-hmm. I'm not so old that I was alive when the original Star Wars came out. Um, but uh, I think, what, episode four, right? The first one, mm-hmm. episode four, came out in, in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was born in 84, you guys can do the math to determine how old I am, um, mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, I believe, had just come out the year before. So the original trilogy had come out. So when I was a kid growing up, we watched that original trilogy all the time. Incredible. And then when the new trilogy, which for me was episodes one, two, and three, um, I think I was in junior high. And uh, man, I saw those in theaters multiple times. Incredible. Um, Well, I'm so glad that you've joined the Star Wars fan club. Have you now been able to go back and, and watch The Mandalorian? Yes, I did. It's Excellent. Very, Excellent. very, very Baby Yoda. Correction, Grogu. <laughs> Grogu, Obviously. yeah. It's not the child. It's not Baby Yoda. It's, he's got it's, a name. It's Grogu. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, th- I, think that, I think that wraps up the episode. I think that went splendid. That's a good way to wrap it up with, uh-huh. with Star Wars. Some Star Wars, yeah. Well, TJ, you want to sign us off? Thank you, Craig, for coming out here. Yes, or thank you. Cu- for, for letting us use your time. I'm sure time is money, and I'm sure that was money well spent. Thank you for being here. And would you like to say something before we end? I'm, no, I'm just thrilled for the conversation, guys. And I love to hear that you guys are being creative and diligent in your work. And I commend you for it. So absolutely keep it up. Thank you. And uh, um, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. Well, yep. Thank you for listening. And, you know, we say, TJ, 
TTFN. TTFN. Tater Tots. Tater Tots for now. Goodbye. See ya.